And we're back for another episode of the Roman's Empire podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. My name is Zach Corey, and this week is a very, very special episode. Why, you might ask? Because not only will we be talking shit about Spurs, as we always do, but we also get to talk shit about Arsenal. I mean, I think it's fair to say that both of those clubs suck dick, and we thank them for being shit, because without them, London may not be blue. To prove that, this week is my trusty co-host and co-founder of the podcast, Mr. Sam Bagherzadeh, and the Venezuelan powerhouse himself, all the way from Texas, Andres Velasco. <laughs> Boys, we're officially one point off of Spurs in the league and six ahead of Arsenal. So I'm assuming you guys had a decent weekend. Oh, yeah. Nothing else to say. Perfect weekend. It would have been a lot better if... Uh... If we were able to, you know, beat the Spurs, but you know, it it, it was it was a hard fought match, uh, and I think that we outperformed them. But it would have been a lot better if we came out we came out with a win. But I mean, we'll 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 get into that. We should just one quick mention: uh, former Chelsea players scoring bangers now. Did you guys see Andre Sherla's goal? No, oh, that volley was something else, man. He, <laughs> he takes like thirty shots a game, but that was a nice little volley. Oh, I need to watch God. that. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, I remember um, a time when we were deciding between who was better, Andre Sherla or Kevin De Bruyne, um, and I think that that goal might have settled the debate. It's definitely Andre Sherla. Right? <laughs> World Cup winning Andre Sherla. Right. World right. Cup goal scoring Andre Sherla. Mm-hmm. Or no, no, no. World Cup goal assisting. My bad. Yeah, he assisted it. What, power sub it? of the power sub of the tournament. That's true. Yeah, he there assisted it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the one that he has. He has. That's he has some sort of title. So, he right. scored the the crazy goal against Brazil, though. Yeah. The no angle one. Oh god. Yeah. yeah. When he was still was technically a Chelsea player. Too. <laughs> anyway, let's let's get get started on this uh, recap of uh, this heartbreaking loss to the Spurs, coming off of just a single penalty. So I'll just read off the Spur- the the Chelsea lineup real quick before we get in. Kepa in goal. Marcos Alonso, Rudiger, Christensen, Dave, man the back line, midfield of Jorginho, Conte, and Barkley, and then a front three of William, Cho, and Hazard playing that false nine role um, due to the fact that we have zero strikers. So, um, like, as I mentioned before, let's talk about this penalty. So, Kane, in and in, in allegedly, and I think it's, it's pretty clearly proven, uh, offside position, uh, when the ball's played, He's he's off one on one against Keppa and Keppa draws the penalty by laying him out, which I approve. Uh, VAR reviewed it and still didn't overturn the call. They they thought that he was onside, uh, but I mean, famously, sorry after the after the post match presser, he <laughs> he showed the match footage on his iPad showing uh, that he was actually offside. He had a quote. Let me read it real quick. Um, he said, "In Italy, there is VAR. In this first season, it, in the first season, it was a disaster. The referees did not know how to use the system. I think at this moment, the referees in England are not ready to use the system in the right way. For example, from the pictures on our camera, Kane was offsides, clearly offsides. So, Zach, do you agree? What, yeah. what are your thoughts on VAR?" I, th- I thought I actually thought the officiating VAR included throughout the match was just atrocious. Video I, assisted or not, it was it was bad. <laughs> it was a bad call. I mean, 
when I when you watched it in real time um, on that you know third party stream that I was watching it on, um, from that camera angle, it didn't necessarily look offside. Kane looked just about level, but when Sorry went in post match and actually showed, actually had the Chelsea videographer showing uh, the cameraman um, the actual angle itself, and Kane was at, at least a foot offside. I mean. It seems ridiculous to me that we have VAR in some competitions and not all of them. That's one issue. But the other issue is that we have VAR um, implemented when it's still extremely faulty. I mean, it, it's I, there's countless situations almost every week in Europe where VAR is used and causes some sort of controversy, um, whether it misses a call or makes the wrong call. So. Sorry's right, and 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 so is Pochettino. Pochettino also criticized it as well. I I just don't understand why it's being implemented now when it's not perfected, and and I think that's something that FIFA really has to look at in the off season is how could they perfect this you know te technology and 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 especially the communication between the referees um, before they you know reinstate it um, next year. It's it's just it seems ridiculous to me. It, 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 I mean, is this even just, is this even high tech that like high tech technology? I mean, it, the it, NFL it, has been I, doing this for the past 10, 15 years. You know, they have the yellow first down line, and it, it seems spot on every time. They do such a good job. Why doesn't FIFA give a call to them? Maybe they can help them, you know, sort things out because that angle on on the on the broadcast it it did look like he was on, but it was in a weird. The line was drawn in a weird way, so that you know, I mean, I honestly don't know which is the correct like drawing which, which line was correct the one that sorry showed or the one that was shown on the broadcast and in var but i i just don't understand why there has to be some sort of discrepancy in the first place why isn't there just like a you know uniform way to do it that you know in, in 2019 we're able to make a straight line without any controversy you know <laughs> Well, it's yeah. not even. It, it has nothing to do with the straight line. It has to. It, it has everything to do with the panel that VAR is. I mean, from what I understand, it's a bunch of referees sitting down and an, analyzing footage and various camera angles in different scenarios, right? If you have a panel of referees watching that and they're all looking at only, you know, I mean, I mean, they have multiple angles. That that's that's just the part that 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 just, that just drives me up the wall andres i mean i, I don't know what you were going to say sorry I, th I cut you off no you're good i was going to play a little of the devil's advocate because when it came to the world cup i felt like the var was spotless there so i think at this point it's just really? laziness and part of the fa to to not prepare their referees accordingly because i i mean i can't think obviously we're months away from the world cup but i thought in the world cup it was used way better than it was using the confederations cup and overall, I felt like it was a good use of it. But then again, all those referees had months of preparation knowing that they were going into the World Cup where VAR was going to be a key component of it all. Like the decisions they looked back at, I thought were good. Like I said, like in the Confederations Cup, there was missed red cards from like thrown elbows and things like that. And, and I don't think there was ever that sort of level of controversy in the World Cup, which is a way longer There was tournament. a lot of missed penalties and, you know, like, reviewed calls that they ended up not calling penalty. I had a conspiracy theory going on that they were favoring the good teams to ensure that they advance out of the group stage. But that was just only in the group stage, and that's just me because all of my teams lost in the group stage. So <laughs> I maybe mean, I'm a little hey, bit bitter from that. I, I don't know if I'm all the good teams made it, it out of the... Out of the group stage when Russia, Sweden, Denmark, like, teams that were not really in 
in most people's brackets made it through. But I yeah, think the the, no, the real right. issue is is like the the, pre- the preparation for it. For one, these referees obviously are not prepared to look at these TVs and look at the angles. Like you said, I don't know why – if we already have goal line technology where we can tell that a ball went all the way through and it's like foolproof at this point, like how come there isn't, like you said, those kind of lines? It's just coordinates on a pitch. Like is it really that hard to like create some sort of grid? It's an algorithm. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a rectangle for God's sake. Like yeah. <laughs> you should be able to, to see – these lines are make, like you said, an algorithm that, you know, between the mode lines, like create little micro lines in between so that you can make this happen. Like uh, Kane was half his body was offside. Like the, the the eventual pictures that came out, half his body was offside. Like his whole torso, one leg was ahead of Aspie. End of mm-hmm. story. I really do think it comes down to human error and the fact that the FA is just so lazy about refereeing. The refereeing has been atrocious before VAR. Now you add this machine that needs human use to get something right and they can't even get it right in real time. Like this is just making it worse and worse. And I was going to say at first, like, okay, some of these stadiums don't have the capacity to have this many cameras, but this is freaking Wembley. We were at Wembley, Mm -hmm. the Olympic stadium of England. Like this is the stadium. And you can tell me you can't get that right. Like I blame the referees entirely and the FA like, Yes, like FIFA should instate this across all leagues. I know that's probably not possible, but the German league this season, my dad's a big Bayern fan. He hasn't had a single issue with VAR so far. So it if you put in the right practice and the right training, like you should be able to get it right. Like you guys said, the NFL essentially gets it right over 80% of the times so once they look get under the hood. Why can't it be that way with so- in in football, like in in soccer? Like it, it shouldn't be that hard. So I blame the FA just for pure laziness, shooing this into a league cup rather than just putting it across the board. I I, I blame the people in, in charge of the FA. And obviously I have my issues with them with the way they treat our club specifically throughout. But yeah, this is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, as much as I'd love to sit here and complain about VAR the whole time, I think we should probably get back to the match. But, you know, that, that, was, a, that was a well-needed rant. I need to get that off my chest. Um Let's talk about Eden Hazard. Uh, I'll read. I'll read you guys his numbers, and then you guys uh, tell me your thoughts on him playing in the false nine. So, ninety-two percent pass accuracy, seventy-two touches, eight take-ons completed, seven fouls won, five chances created, three shots, two on target. Fun fact: He actually leads the league in take-ons completed um, and take-ons total. Uh, but uh, and fouls drawn, right? And fouls drawn. Uh, just an absolute legend. But um, Andreas, I'll start off with you. You think after this performance, the false nine continues or this is, this is something that we can't see going on. Well, if this would have been the only match of the week, I might be like, Oh, maybe, but we had another match that we'll talk about later that changed my opinion. Um, One stat that, you know, people are saying like, what is the benefit of the false nine? And one stat that keeps coming out is that we only have conceded I think three goals since playing the false nine so the defensive let me quote sorry here the defensive phase of our team is a lot more solid I get it but I also feel like we're not scoring as much now that we're at the false nine so yes (laughs) (laughs) right I, I get it our strikers aren't good but 
and Eden was scoring at first in the false nine, but at the end of the day, we're limiting his talents by putting him in a congested middle of the field against oversized competition. Um, obviously, he shows up for the big games. You you read out the stats. I just think that, man, I, I just don't think that the false nine should be the way to go. Based on that, like we could get so much more out of Eden just by getting the correct striker. Like, yes, Eden can play in that role, but Eden is so much better at left wing. Like these numbers would like are amazing. But imagine if he actually had a decent striking partner, how much better these could be on a week to week basis. Yeah, I mean, Andres, you pretty much nailed it. I, I think all he did in this match was prove that he's a big game player, right? Like you could basically play him anywhere um, in any big match and he'll give you some sort of performance. Now, in the second half, I noticed he really came to life because he started rotating a little bit more with the front three. Um, and, and he was coming out wide and, and dropping a little bit deeper to get the ball and dictate tempo. But again, how does someone get fouled seven times in a match without the opposition at least uh, getting more than three yellows? The referee only gave out three yellow cards that match. If someone gets fouled over and over and over... Isn't that persistent fouling? I mean, it, it, the whole rule of persistent fouling has a lot of gray areas for me because I guess the way the public perceives it is if one person kicks one player three, four, five times in a match, then it's a bookable offense, no matter if it was a, tap, a love tap or he just barreled them over. But what if, what if a team serial fouls one player? like Tottenham did in this game and like Newcastle did at the weekend too. Like uh, there was one play where Christian Natsu just absolutely took out Hazard um, and, and just raked them down the back of the calf. And, and I don't even think there was a call on it. Right. Who, would get, this... who would get the card in that situation? I mean, when the whole team is fouling like that, it's hard. I, I say it's the captain, man. It's, I, yeah. It's like right. all on the captain or the manager even. I mean, you, you have to, there has to be some sort of, 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 of some sort of line that has to be drawn because you're not only kicking the crap out of the best player on the pitch who all the fans paid money to watch, but you're also limiting him from playing the way that he naturally plays. You're inhibiting his ability. And 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 it's not within the guidelines of the game, is it? I mean, if yeah. you keep fouling the guy over and over and over and over, someone has to be held responsible. Yeah. Exactly. And and, and – and- I don't. I don't mean to interrupt you. It no, brings no me th- to the one time where I saw this done correctly, and it was Chelsea versus Man United. I can't remember at what point of Conte's reign, but you could visibly, obviously, we're Americans. We watch this on TV. The referee went up to, oh my God, I think the captain for that game was Ander Herrera, and he went up to him. He told him, "I don't care who the next guy that comes." Does it, if he has a card or not, if it's a blatant foul against Eden Hazard, I'm booking him. And sure enough, it was either Valencia or somebody else immediately got a red. Uh, it was immediately a red card. Yeah, he he literally just showed the red at that point. And it was like 20 minutes into the game. It was, like, yeah, it was under Herrera. It was, yeah, there you go. It was an under Herrera. So he warned him. He's like, I, I see you do it again. Like, I know what you're doing. He communicated that to the players. And then boom. Did they continue to foul Hazard at that point? Yeah, but did they? <laughs> did, were they playing ten men down with like five yellow cards at that by the end of the game? Yes, they were. So you have to make a statement. 
as a referee to not lose control of a game because that's only going to eventually lead to a mass fight. And let's be real, our track record, we're the ones that gonna, are going to end up losing. I mentioned it again. I'll mention it, I mention it now. There's a ch- campaign against Chelsea somewhere deep in the roots of the FA, and Hazard is the, the perfect example. You don't – you protect your greatest assets when you're a business like the Premier League, and you're not doing that when you let a team come out and say, okay, we're just going to hack at Hazard for 90 minutes. Yeah. I mean, and Hazard is not the only person, right? Like Wilfried Zaha spoke about it earlier in the season. Also, mm-hmm. it, it's 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 just ridiculous how much someone could get kicked and raked down the back of the calf and barged off the ball illegally, time after time after time after time in the same match in the same half, and not be reprimanded for it. I mean, three yellows is just atrocious. And whoever the ref was, I think it was Michael Oliver. I mean, he's so hit or miss. And the sad part is we're talking a lot of shit about the referees and Michael Oliver, but he's actually one of the better ones. And that just shows you the standard of officiating in England. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like I feel like officiating isn't as much of an issue when you go to places like Germany. I mean, maybe it is for Italy because of the uh, because of the, uh, you know, um, match fixing, match fixing and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I know I know it's an issue sometimes in Spain because, again, more, more politics like that get involved. But in England, it's just blatantly poor. And and the English refs just constantly show time and time again how how awful they are at spotting these things and, and nipping them in the bud early on. And I think the combination of him getting destroyed and the team not playing particularly well, he's understandably uh, pretty frustrated, visibly frustrated. But I, the thing I love about Eden Hazard is that, you know, when, when a lot of players, they get frustrated, they tend to play down and not try as hard. But I think that, you know, Hazard's frustrations kind of puts like a chip on his shoulder and he plays even better than when, you know, he normally plays. Um, and he, he had an amazing performance. Unfortunately, the team couldn't come through. I mean, I'll go over the match stats because we we did outplay them. 17 shots total, five on target as a, compared to Spurs with six shots, only four on target. We had 58% per, uh, possession. Pretty much dominated the match besides the opening 10 minutes. Um, I guess we'll just go into the final thoughts of this match. Um if any, uh, Zach, I don't know if you have anything you wanted to add. Yeah, I mean, you touched on Eden Hazard's frustration, and and for me, that's kind of worrying. And we talked about, we do talk about how much he gets kicked, and we do talk about our lack of 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 a striker and 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 not being able to score a lot of goals. The team seems to be running dry at the moment, but this this type of frustration is worrying for me. You know, he he said before that. Um, he doesn't enjoy playing in the in the number nine role, and that he prefers to come off of the left. And yet he's he has to play the number nine position because Maratha's as good as gone. And for whatever reason, um, Maurizio Sarri doesn't really see Olivier Giroud as fit to start and, and be our regular number nine. Um, and you know we talked about last week his little incident with Alonso, where Alonso waved him off when when Hazard asked for the ball. It's getting worrying for me now because if you're Hazard, you're thinking to yourself, shit, I'm going out there every week playing out of position with my back to goal, getting the crap kicked out of me, and my team isn't performing as well as I want them to. I missed out on a Champions League two of the last three seasons. 
and the club is on the verge of a, a of a possible transfer ban and you just look at everything in his surroundings and it's kind of hard to see a reason why he would stay besides him just loving the club passionately right. loyalty. and i and i think i think there is a sense of that loyalty with hazard i think he is a loyal person in general i don't think he's doing it for the money i think he's doing it because he loves to play um and, and you could tell because he never speaks uh ill about any of his opponents you know I, I think it was just yesterday where he was talking about Messi and how he's his favorite player and whatnot but he's just a fan of the game and he just wants to play but at the same time are you having fun playing out of position getting kicked and not winning um consistently winning I should say but I mean that's one um Cho did um play in this game but he didn't play well but at the same time he didn't play poorly and I saw him get slated on Twitter let's just remind ourselves that he's 18 years old um, and, and I think the fact that we haven't mentioned Andreas Christensen is actually a good thing. Um, especially when you're talking about a center back, usually when there's nothing to talk about, um, for anybody playing in the back line, that includes the goalkeeper, uh, that usually means that you have a good match. So I thought he's solid. I think, I actually think he's getting a little bit of his confidence back, you know, a big match in Wembley, um, a cup match to start and play well like that. Um, hopefully that could be the basis for, um, you know, great performances in the future so yeah yeah andres what do you what, what did you think do you have any final thoughts yeah my final thought is is a quick one we forced a team that's considered a title contender a team that has been recently better than us face head to head to park the bus for 80 minutes of the game i don't know when the last time we actually forced an opponent to do that but again we've mentioned this so many times we were missing a striker, and we would have won this game. It makes me extremely positive going into the second leg. And what better segue than to start talking about the second leg? Wow. Yeah. I, I was thinking of some sort of transition, but you you definitely you killed wow. that one. That was fantastic. I why am I even here? I, I, I don't have a job <laughs> anymore. Andreas, you're, you're putting me out of a job. So as Andreas said, let's get into the second leg. Um a little bit uh, unorthodox way of doing our our normal episodes, but I think it's fitting. Obviously, well, we, we we talked about this last week. We weren't sure, but just to clarify, away goals do not count like they do in um, other European Cup competitions. So um, the away goal, it really didn't matter the fact that we didn't get one. We need to win it outright um, or else it'll go into extra time penalties. Um, so Chelsea have hosted the Spurs only three times in League Cup. Uh, at at the bridge and the results were two wins and one draw um just a quick update on the spurs since the the first leg they're coming off a loss at home to man united over the weekend so a little bit down the dumps maybe uh son will be unavailable because he will be at the asian cup as well um harry kane struggled towards the end of the united match and also limped off with an ankle injury at full time so so far everything uh is looking good for chelsea Pochettino says that he fears that it could be a bad injury, and it's it's the same ankle that he had issues with previously. So, at this moment, there's no official diagnosis due to the swelling around the joint. But according to reports, it's a minimum of one month out for Harry Kane. So, good news for us. But I, you know, I never really like an injury uh, per se. Um, Sissoko as well. He came off against United with a non-contact groin injury, with no official timetable. 
Um, I think that we described what to expect from the Spurs side uh, adequately in the last episode, so we don't really need to get into that for the second leg. But um, I think so. Maybe we can just jump straight into predictions and uh, bold predictions as well. Zach, if you want to get us started. I mean, there is one thing I want to mention um, before I get into my predictions. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, if Harry Kane's not available, um, naturally their backup would usually be Sun um, playing up top, even though they do have Yorente, but, you yeah. know, he's not really used from the start. Um, but now they don't have Sun. So I think I think looking forward, um, there's two options that we could that Chelsea could possibly see. Um and I actually, uh, I, I do think that he's going to play with that diamond. I don't think he's going to ditch it completely because all he really has to do is just a like-for-like like switch with Son and Kane up top. I think he's going to go with Llorente and Lucas. So in in this game, it doesn't really change Spurs' playing style too much. Um, they're still going to have Dele Alli and Eriksen pulling the strings in from behind. Um, and Llorente is basically going to have the same job as Harry Kane where he's going to hold up the ball and link up play. Um, and, and, and instead of, uh, instead of son making the runs past Kane, it's going to be, uh, Lucas making the runs past Llorente. So in terms of prep for this game, yeah, I, I think Spurs are going to keep playing the way they're playing. I don't think that they should change it. Um, but yeah, I mean, going in, I'm pretty confident. Um, I did watch the match at the weekend and, and Tottenham probably should have beaten United, um, as much as it pains me to say, um, De Gea made some pretty decent saves and and uh, and Spurs just looked toothless in front of goal. Um, but now that they're losing Harry Kane and Son, who are their two most ruthless players, um, they're really going to be struggling to find some sort of goal output in this game because if you bring on Lamella, you're not really sure what you're going to get from him. Um, Lucas blows hot and cold, and Llorente has never been known as a serial goal scorer. Um, so you're really basically relying on Deli Alley. Uh, to try and and produce something inside the box, unless it's a long range effort from Ericsson, which and we all know he's shit too. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, they're all shit. I mean, I think that's you know basics of it. But um, besides Spurs being total shit, I I do think Chelsea are going to win the game. Um, I'm going to go two nil, so that way we could move on in advance. I was going to go one nil, but but we need two. Um, and I think Callum Hudson Odoi scores. And get this, I think he kisses the badge. Oh, I think he gets that goal against Spurs, and he kisses the badge, and it's game over for Bayern. Fuck you. <laughs> he got our boy. This is the kind yeah, of stuff you uh, you think okay. about late at night, huh? When you're when you're in bed, you just think about sleep. when you think about Cho just kissing the badge. That would be nice, huh? That it's it's honestly <laughs> it's my, dream. my dream. It's my dream. <laughs> Andreas, what about you? Uh, um. I don't think that's gonna happen. No, definitely not. <laughs> Where's the optimism? Maybe guys? in the oh, dream. Man. Maybe in the dream scenario. But <laughs> where's optimism? My optimism uh... is that he posted on his Instagram oh, today yeah. that not to read, not to read into things that you see online or something along those lines. So <laughs> and then he deleted it a that. couple hours later. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll take I that. I don't know what to read into that. <laughs> I'll take that for the time being. Compared to the kissing the badge, I don't think we're <laughs> quite there yet. But I do think that we will win. <laughs> he signs his, his extension on the pitch at 90, right. at 90 minutes. Just like John Terry. You know, that, that, that's what we do for academy graduates, guys. Do you ever okay. see that picture of JT signing his contract In on the, the pitch? Yeah. Suit. 
Oh god, that is, that's exactly what I want to happen to to Cho. That would be a dream come true. That, Cho's that would just goal be celebration amazing. is gonna be like a NFL touchdown one where they have a a, a pen hiding like by the goalpost <laughs> and, and he pulls it out and, and signs the camera or something. I don't know. But no, uh, my real prediction is gonna be that um Pedro's gonna score again. Come I know that we have a game before this against Arsenal, but I think Pedro is actually going to be kind of our hero in this game. And um, this game is about a week away. How about this for a bold prediction? One new player will be on the squad. Very Ooh. nice. I, I like that. I think we're going to win. Um, obviously, we can't win 1-0, but uh, I think 2-0. I'm, I'm going to go with your prediction, Zach. And, um, yeah, my bold prediction, it was, I already said it, Joe's going to sign his extension on the pitch right, right at the end, at the last whistle. Um, he's going to go kiss the badge and sign that extension. So that's my bold prediction. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's, let's get into this next part. Um, we're going to recap this, uh, Chelsea Newcastle league match, uh, matchup. So Chelsea winning two, one. Uh, I'll go through the lineup real quick. Kepa in the in goal. Um, the back line of Dave, Alonso, Rudiger, David Luiz. Um, uh, midfield of Jorginho, Kovacic, and Conte in the front three of William Pedro and Eden Hazard as the false nine once again. Um, so I'll go over the match stats. We don't have to spend too much time on this match, but I just want to go through it real quick. Um, match uh, Chelsea, 10 shots, 6 on targets. We had 65% aerial duels won, and this is without a striker, which is very impressive. 66% um, uh, possession. Um, Andreas, I'll ask you first, did you, did we dominate the match as we would have wanted to? I mean, playing against a, a team facing relegation. Was this, was this the kind of dominating match you'd expect from a team like Chelsea? Um, not from a team that's supposed to be in the top four, but... This is Chelsea after all, and we hate to kill off games. This game, statistically, looking at Newcastle's form, should have never been this close. Um, but, hey, it's Chelsea like to make it tough. They make it, they like to make a sweat. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we got the three points. So, even in the hardest way possible, Willian's goal was, was wild. But, yeah, I, at this, this is where you know we're not – a title contender just yet because this is the kind of game that a title contender can just put to bed within the first half. So I think we're still a work in progress. Um, I would have liked it to, to have kept a clean sheet, but it is what it is. I mean, even the commentary in this match um, af was actually post-match. Um, but uh, I think it was Robbie Musto was the one talking and he was the one that mentioned that once Chelsea get a natural striker, um, they'll be able to naturally create more chances up top, and then it'll take us to a completely different level. And I could, I, I honestly couldn't agree more because, one, that puts Eden Hazard back in his desired position and the position which he's best at. Let's not kid ourselves. And two, we actually have someone that's in the box, someone that we could actually play the ball to. Isn't that, isn't that crazy, guys? That would be it, a crazy it, concept. It just seems like a ridiculous thought to me that we can actually go out there and purchase a player that will make runs towards the goal in the six-yard box. Hey, to be fair, to be fair, Marata does make good runs, but he just can't finish for shit. 
Yeah. Or I mean, stay onside. Or stay kind onside, of, right. Kind of, kind of. Which kind uh of. which I guess means he doesn't make good runs. Um but sorry, go ahead, Zach. I, I, I lost what I was gonna say. Go ahead. Uh so I mean um Andreas he mentioned uh, William and Pedro, but I think that was arguably their best performance of the season as a duo. Um both got a goal apiece. William with the game winner, a, a, be- a beautiful slight slightly curved shot from the left side of, of the box. That was that was an amazing shot, and that's just a very William esque. You know, like if you if you've ever seen a William goal, you know it. And that was it right there. Um, it kind of, you know, th- these two have been getting a lot of hate recently from the Chelsea fan base, and I think that in my opinion, this performance kind of shut them up at least temporarily because obviously just just we're so reactionary one bad match and they're the worst things ever um zach i want to get your take on how you felt with that uh that wing duo matchup i mean they're they're both incredible i I thought they both did well um but you know david luiz's pass to pedro world class i don't think there's anything else to say about that and the finish was world class as well you know pedro's pedro's a funny little player because he's not a player that scores a lot of goals per se, but he's a scorer of beautiful goals. Like I, if you showed someone his highlight reel of just his goals, you would think that he's one of the best players in the world. Um, <laughs> right. But that's, that's what uh, exactly what I meant. Yeah. But you know, then you go to William and yeah, it was a great performance. And, and I do think he did shut the haters up. It's people are really quick to forget uh, how talented he is, how naturally gifted he is as a footballer. And, that 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 little wiggle he does with his right foot where he just slows the defender down to walking speed and just wiggles his foot just a little bit and boom drops the shoulder creates that little bit of space smashes it in the far corner that's those are the kind of goals you try scoring in fifa um but <laughs> great goal um the one thing that uh that really gets to me though is that you know we scapegoat our players constantly uh the week and weeks before the matches, um, and all season even. But, you know, William's been getting a lot of scrutiny as of late. Ever since those Barcelona transfer rumors came up again, fans have seen the turn on him again. Let's, As long as the guy's wearing a shirt, can't we just kind of, like, get behind him and cheer him on? I mean, he clearly wants to play for the club. He even said that he's willing to sign an extension if it's presented to him. And the way he celebrated his goal didn't necessarily cut a character that doesn't want to be here. I mean, it was it it was a celebration of frustration, almost kind of like anger. I mean, he pumped his fists and he kind of like screamed to himself. It was very subdued, but at the same time, it was like a release of just this pent up emotion. And that's that's exactly what you want to see from a player. So I don't understand how you can't get behind someone that wants to play for the club, regardless of how talented or not talented they are. Because for someone to go and say that William doesn't care, I mean, you look at that performance and it tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, and I, I hate to be the guy that brings it all back to earth, but yeah, I again, the goal was fantastic, 10 out of 10. Like, that is a worldie. His reaction, exactly what you want from a player who's been linked to move away. He obviously wants to stay. He even commented saying that he his future is at Chelsea. He, he doesn't read the newspapers. But us reacting in this way, I feel like, is what feeds these people to think that now William's going to score 20 goals. And I actually wrote some of these things down because apart from the goal, I thought he had a very typical William game. 
um, where it's like he'll do a lot of things right, but he'll also do a lot of bad things. So to me, he was like a 6 out of 10 overall. And I know he earned us the three points, and this is going to sound ridiculous, but his five corner kicks were blatantly bad. Um, there was a time, there was two chance. There's one chance, not the one where he tried to chip the keeper, but early in the first half where he didn't even hit the frame. And that's just like against any other team that could have been the one differentiator to, to keep us in the game. Um, there was time where his crosses were forced because he took three too many touches, but Again, can William go back to that form where he can do what he did with that goal? Yes, he can. I just don't want this game to suddenly skyrocket him into signing a new deal out of nowhere or people saying that he's undroppable. I think that he did what he's supposed to do in this false nine. Hazard drew four defenders or midfielders, four total players on that play. Ridiculous skill, wasn't it? Right. It was just crazy. And, and yes, William finally got to the position, but... It, had he taken two more seconds to slow down that defender, we don't know if he gets that shot off. So I I can't – I'm not fully going to just fully buy into William being the answer to the future. I think that he's very important to the team still, especially in our current situation. I just, I just want to kind of bring that performance a little bit back to earth because I worry that now the fan base is suddenly going to be just, oh, William's going to score 10 more goals. I, I'm just trying to keep myself grounded, I guess. I think the best well, part – well, I'm not – so let me, I just want to say something real quick, but I think the best part about the William goal was during, you know, we have the, the WhatsApp group text and, you know, right before that, Andreas was just ex- expressing his frustration with William, including fuck off, fuck you, William. And, uh, <laughs> right. Literally, that was like two minutes before he scored. And then he says, uh, you said, thanks, William. Now fuck off. <laughs> I, I, well, in, a, in a more uh, in a more classy way, I put this on a separate group text. I was like, "Wow, William truly is a Chelsea man. Look at him score so he can bring up his price by another twenty million." <laughs> well, I, I wasn't. I, I didn't make that statement um, that I just that I just said about William. You know, on the great goal and that if he wants to wear the the whole point of what I'm trying to say is that. We have a player that actually wants to play for the club and actually like runs his ass off and works hard every week. I mean, regardless of regardless of his stats and and regardless of the mistakes he makes on the pitch and regardless of the great games he has and the bad games he has, you never question his effort on the field and you never question that in his in his body of work, right? You could criticize his final ball, you could criticize his finishing ability, or you know, he does hold on to the ball too long sometimes, or he doesn't make the right decisions. But the guy is always working his ass off, and for for some reason, there still seems there there's still so many plastics more than there should be um, going off about William being total shit and that he's a waste of space. Get him out of my club. We don't want him here. I saw one tweet, uh, it, 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 and they posted it, it was a post of his family, right? I think it was his wife and his two kids, and 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 in the tweet, someone was saying. Uh, in the tweet, someone was saying, wow, William shoots so, so much that he misses and gets two girls. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, this is really what it's come down to. We've, we, we, we're attacking the guy's family now. Like, like, he has any control over that. It's just completely ridiculous. The point I was trying to make was we can get behind someone that actually wants to play for the club instead of jumping on their back. William's still wearing a Chelsea jersey. So there's no reason for us to go and say, you know, get him the fuck out of the club. We want him out. Even if there is a better deal on the table that Barca proposed to us, he's still wearing the kit. 
and it just completely blows my mind. It's like people forget that he won two titles here. You know, I'm not saying that he's a world-class player, but I'm saying that he's somebody that we can still get behind as long as he's wearing the kit. So, yeah, and I know Sam didn't paint the best picture of me and how I think of William. Like, <laughs> don't give me It's don't the give heat me of the moment, of course. Yeah, I've never thought about, like, like Zach said, I've never gone to the point where I'm like, kill yourself or anything like that. That is just ridiculous. Right. Anytime I do say something about William, except for that time when I was like, thanks for the goal, now get out of here in more explicit terms. I just, I usually explain why I'm, I don't feel that way. Like, I, and it, and it may be just because he's not my style of player or, or what I think the club needs. But like Zach said, the guy obviously cared for that goal. Like that's the kind of reaction I ever, I always wanted Morata to have after not scoring five goals. So I can mm-hmm. give him that credit that he obviously is putting in the work to try to improve. And when he finally got that off his chest where he could like, I just did this for my team. I just did this for my club, like the organization, like that, that's good to see. Like you can't, you can't hate on a guy that does that. It doesn't mean that I would build my team around him though. So that's just my opinion on the guy. Like I said, I still think he needs to stay at the club at least through the end of the season, just because we need players that know what we're doing and coming in in, the, in this part of the year, just to pick up a whole new philosophy is not simple. So yeah, I, I thought the goal was fantastic. His reaction was fantastic. His comments after the game were extremely professional. So I may not like William in the long term, but I can get behind him in the short term. All right, so let's let's move on to the next player that I want to talk about, Jorginho. Mm, and I go. love how Zach included this into the script because he's and, – and the questions that he writes – thinking like i don't realize that he's talking about me but um <laughs> I'm, I'm a little smarter than that zach i caught on but anyway i'll read through his, his stats and then i'll read what how zach feels that i feel um so he was a uh, 92 out of 101 passes complete including three key passes five successful tackles which was more than kovacic barkley and conte combined all of whom played in that game right um he was only dispossessed once and um, he was pretty much a scapegoat. I I know I expressed frustration saying that he is actually overrated as a player. Um, and I don't think he he played that he was good enough in that match. And maybe maybe I'm ignorant, Zach. I think maybe you're gonna try to uh, educate me. But in my <laughs> opinion, I think he it's might not... be a little bit a little bit overrated. Not saying that he's bad, but. You know, it's Zach. It's not, it's not, it's, I I mean, I understand what you're saying because of the transfer fee and the teams that were linked with him, you know, Man City wanting after him. And then we kind of like pried him away. But look, the the whole idea that Jorginho is just not the answer for our midfield. And that's, and that's a common theme on, on Chelsea Twitter. It's just fucking nonsense. And I understand that he struggled in the attacking third in this game, and he does in general. But that's not what we bought him for. I mean, Zach, he's got he's got zero assists on the season. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. This is the problem with most Chelsea fans, though. Sam is they need to understand what role we brought him in to do. He's the regista. He controls the tempo. He shields the back four on the counterattack, and he organizes the midfield and the forward line. Let's not get carried away with the Jorginho doesn't have an assist nonsense because he's never had more than four assists in a league season in his whole career. That's not what he does. 
It's not what he was brought in for. It's, it's honestly wasted oxygen to bash the guy for not providing more assists from the positions that he's taking up on the field. If we're going to make that argument for him, then let's do the same for Conte and Kovacic and Ross Barkley, who are playing further up the pitch and still not doing the business. It's it, and, and besides that, it's it's kind of difficult to provide an assist in a team that doesn't have a natural goal scorer in their starting eleven. Forget the fact that we can't find an answer at the number nine, but what about the fact that the whole team as a whole cannot score enough goals? We've only scored 40 in the league thus far. Manchester United's having one of their worst season in decades and has 44. That's four more than us. We've taken 15 more shots this season than Liverpool and somehow scored 10 less goals. Those stats only tell one thing, is that we don't have a striker and we don't have players that are clinical in front of the net. So before we could get on about talking... Before we could get on about talking Jorginho nonsense about how he can't get an assist and he doesn't have a final product and this and that, let's get some players that could actually put the finishing touches on build-up play first before we can make that judgment on Jorginho. And I I don't think that that's unfair to ask. That's that's just it's it, it's 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 football and common sense. It's crazy to me how some people are just so sold on this idea that he was going to come into the midfield and be like Frank Lampard. We were spoiled to death by having Frank Lampard. <laughs> And 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 even if we did bring in an attacking attacking midfielder who plays the same position as Frank Lampard, like a true number eight, we still can't expect them to put up fifteen and fifteen seasons like he did. It's just it it, it completely blows my mind how people automatically assume that Jorginho's shit because the stats don't prove it. What about Sergio Busquets? I mean, I I, I think he's a great example because he does a very similar role to Jorginho. And he doesn't put up assist numbers. I think I think his highest was was four also in a league campaign. Those guys don't provide assists, and that's four assists on a Barcelona team that's actually clinical and actually has strikers and players that could score goals. It's 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 absolutely crazy to me. Jorginho is not crap. Yeah, Get for that. the record, Everybody... I'm not. I don't think he's shit. I don't no, think no, no, no. I, I just think he might be a little overrated, and that's yeah, that's just yeah. my that's my opinion. I, I think it's a fair argument, Sam. I'm not saying that, but but there's yeah. a lot of people that are completely irrational about this whole thing and, and saying uh, he doesn't even have an assist yet. Who the fuck is he supposed to assist? Yeah, I mean, if, if we had a striker, he, he he'd deep, have one for sure. He he's sitting that deep in the midfield. His only option is to play short passes because you're not going to be able to play over the top and be more direct because who's your number nine? Hazard. If you're playing him over the top, you're not utilizing him properly. Jorginho just keeps the clock ticking. I feel like he's very, very misunderstood in the Chelsea team, and 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 we noticed it. Um, we noticed it more against Newcastle because you know he was being exposed in the final third and he was giving passes away. But guess what? Every player is entitled to have their bad patches. Yeah, Jorginho hasn't been great in the last maybe two or three matches. Big deal. The guy's never played through the the holiday season. So give him a break. It's his first season in the Premier League. A lot of people are forgetting that. I mean, he was never going to come in and be Andrea Pirlo or, Javi, or, or, or Zavi right off the bat. And it's not going to happen. So people just need to understand that and understand what his role is in the actual team. I mean, Andreas, am I crazy for saying that – for thinking he might be overrated? I mean, I think it's a fair argument. I think that to also back up Zach here though – to talk on the zero assist, the play I'm talking about where Willian totally missed the frame, the pass came from Jorginho. That would have been Just his saying. first. <laughs> that could have been his first. But, um, I mean, there there's things that people forget. So if 
like at the beginning of the year when nobody really understood what Jorginho was going to do, we were like, holy shit, this guy is God sent. This guy is making everything happen. And now because he doesn't, isn't being given the space, you might think that he's disappearing from the game, but now people are putting two, three guys surrounding him. If our team was clinical or if our team had the level of players um, to fill out that starting 11 that Chelsea should have, we would be destroying teams that are focusing too much on Jorginho. So, we, yeah, he's and, demanding and so much attention. He'd also be kissing Jorginho's ass. Yeah, like the that, guy is still is still quickly getting rid of that ball. It's not easy to still make perfect passes when two, three guys are already on you. So that that right there, like that's a special job. Like not everybody can do that or or have the vision to go from like facing one sideline to in two touches have the ball at the complete opposite sideline when two guys are coming at you in full speed so like there's a reason why in the italian league like players are like oh thank god Jorginho's gone i think niangalon was the first one to say that he hated playing against them like and, and zach mentioned it we've seen this kind of thing before from players who have never been in the premier league to where their first year that second half of the season is just a little bit harder or that december period I think Jorginho might just be a little bit more exhausted. Just he is. Sorry, like, even mentioned it. Yeah, we don't have mm-hmm. a backup. And Sorry said yeah. he was trying to give him a sub in this game, but he had no options on the bench. Like, simple yeah. as that. Um, I think that, again, once we have this all figured out with, uh, with you know, the forward situation, players that – here's the thing. The thing that I think makes this system still not work fully is that we have players who are still too selfish. And Jorginho is the least of them because, again, he's giving up. Like, of course, I'm sure he would love to play that ball over the top, but he knows he can't do that right now because, for one, our fullbacks aren't overlapping. Two, our wingers are playing almost like two feet from hazard in the middle, so we have no width. Like, there's a lot more going on that could help Jorginho's role be obviously brilliant, and and that just comes again with time and just getting the right players in here. So, I, it's it's hard. To put a judgment out on Jorginho right now, and yes, no, zero assists is like, whoa, what the heck? He's supposed to be a creative midfielder. If if this was like hockey and we had an assist to an assist, I'm sure that our minds would change. But, yeah, unfortunately, that's not a stat in football. It's just a typical ignorance of, oh, our team's not scoring. Well, who's our who's one of our main attackers? Oh, Jorginho is playing like shit today. Maybe it's his fault that we're not <laughs> scoring goals. Like, it, it's so elementary. Yeah, even looking outside of Regista's, like, Kroos and Modric, like, I mentioned this at the beginning of the year, they had, like, five assists a season, maybe two goals. Like, it's not like their output is what makes them some of the best midfielders in the world. Like, it's what they do, all the other things they do. It, it, it's not just about those two statistics. Like, the, the thing that, if we had any other, per, like, any other style midfielder there, like, our, we ha- we would have zero transition in our in our game right now, so it's just tough. But it, it's it's a it's we're beating a dead horse. Like we're we're not going to change anyone's opinion, and and until we get someone that can actually score or finish, it we're not going to see. It's not going to be so clear as to educate those who are still in in such denial, which that includes, I believe, Gary Lineker. And hopefully, <laughs> hopefully our uh, our our striker woes and the backup replacement. Uh, for Jorginho, those those will be fixed a little bit in our tra- in our transfer window. We'll talk about that into our transfer section the next part. But um, do you guys have any final thoughts on this match? 
uh, before we get into the Arsenal preview. D- David Luiz's no-look passing is a thing of beauty. Like, I, I've never seen somebody do no-look passes that are, like, over 40 yards and still hit a, a player, like, in their feet. Like, he had his best game this weekend. He hits the ball this certain way where, like, it doesn't necessarily float with backspin, but it actually dips with, like, topspin, right? Mm-hmm. That, that that ball just kind of, like, dipped into Pedro. And, God, look, on, I guess this will be my final thought. On his day, David Luiz is the best ball-playing center back in England, and I don't really have an issue saying that. Yeah, I mean, he does – I think he leads the Premier League in uh, through balls and, and completed through balls as well. Um, as a center back yeah which is amazing and he was he was our most creative player in this game and i think it's not talked about enough against crystal palace also yeah and i I don't think it's talked about enough the fact that you know he's he's 30 years old that you know we the the chelsea policy of not giving contracts to you know people or more than one year contracts so you know anyone over the age of 30 so that that worries me a little bit you know we don't talk about that that much but i probably that might come up pretty soon um yeah th- just to go back to one last thing about the through balls he mm-hmm. has almost 20 more than the next player yeah. and the next player is Jorginho. <laughs> yeah and we still uh can't score so that's great um so let's talk <laughs> about this uh this arsenal match um it's going to be at the emirates unfortunately in the premier league we do not have a very good record at the Emirates. Um, in 12 matches played, we have only four wins, five draws, and three losses. So overall, not a good record at the Emirates. Arsenal right now are sitting fifth at, on the table uh, with 41 points, only six behind Chelsea right now. Um, they only have one win against the big six this season. Um, we already beat them earlier in the season. Um, a very exciting match, but Zach... I'll ask you first, what do we need to do to ensure that we win the second leg of this matchup? I mean, Lacazette and Aubameyang, um, th- th- those are the two people that we have to target um, and uh, and negate if we can. Um, we've been decent of late defensively, right? Uh, ever since the Spurs match, when, when Hazard moved to the false nine, I, I, I think we've I – don't, I don't even – I think we could count on one hand how many goals we've conceded since then. Um, so I mean, I think we're tied with City on 17 goals on the season, conce- uh, 17 goals conceded. That, that's tied for second best in the league. So um, if our defense could hold firm and we could dominate the game with possession, I think we'll be okay. Um, something to look for. I mean, Aubameyang's obviously going to come off of the left um, with his pace, and and he's going to make those late runs into the box. And we know how clinical he is. Um, but for this game, I, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if Unai Emery shifted him to the right in order to exploit Marcus Alonso and, you know, whatever midfield, uh, player he does, uh, sorry, decides to play on that side. Um, but, you know, I, again, the, the Aubameyang-Lacazette connection, that's the one to look for. Um, most of the time it, it involves Aubameyang or, or one of the midfield players playing the ball to feet to Lacazette. Lacazette's really good at, at playing wall passes and these nifty little layoffs and cutbacks. Um, so that that's what Arsenal is going to look to do against us. They're going to try and exploit that space in between the lines, um, and, and and they're going to try and get their goals that way. So if we can if we can stop one of them, I think we'll have a good shot of winning this game. Um, I know they're not in the best form ever right now, but. We just got to go out there and kind of punch them in the mouth. I mean, this is the kind of game where you look at our squad and you're like, damn, if we if, if we had a striker, 
I would feel really, really <laughs> confident. But the fact that we don't is making me think like, okay, I know we can prevent them from scoring. Um, but 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 what are we going to do to score our own goals? And, and and it's really hard to see anybody outside of Hazard having a good game against Arsenal. I mean, maybe he makes one of their players do another pirouette and, uh, and, and fall on their ass before dribbling the rest of the defense and scoring. So we'll see. Andres, what do you think? Man, um, I would say that we should really watch out for Urzo, but he can't even get into his team's bench. So, isn't it? Sorry, Urzo, you that's suck. That's crazy. Ozil's, Ozil's crap? What? Really? No, Man, he fell it's, off. Crazy. It's crazy to he think that. He wasn't like, always crap. Right. Like eight years ago, he was like the world's best number 10 at Madrid. What, when like, he looked like he actually gave a half shit about uh, actually running off of the ball. I mean, it's kind of hard yeah. to play with Prado when you're playing for Ch- for Arsenal, so, I mean. Ooh, good ooh, point. Yeah. Damn. Good point. True. Um, man, well, here's what I say. For one, I think it would be actually smart to play Giroud in this game. Um, the center backs at Arsenal are garbage. Like, they are actually just straight garbage. Like, if they actually could just buy a center back, I think they'd be a, a decent side. So I think that we really should think of having Hazard play out wide in this game just to, you know, just kind of take advantage of Arsenal's weakness. But I think the main thing that we that Chelsea needs to focus on and I think where they could put uh, Arsenal kind of on their back leg is if we can be patient early on and force Arsenal's midfield to kind of just bite at a tackle. Like, for example, like Xhaka is, is, a, is a hothead. Torreira is good at tackling, but I feel like he he has his moments too. Ganduzi also like if any of those guys get just frustrated at the fact that we've had possession for like ten out of the first thirteen minutes or something like that, they could put themselves in card trouble early, which will only play to our advantage if the game stays close. So for me, I think we need to have Giroud. I I, I would play Giroud unless magically we have a new striker tomorrow and we somehow get him ready by Saturday, but. We need to play a striker in this one, in my opinion, just to let Hazard do what he does best and embarrass Arsenal. Quick, quick, quick question to you guys: Did you see Mia Khalifa's tweet uh, to Mateo Guendouzi this weekend? Yeah. So, <laughs> what was that so about? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just gonna read it out. So, so, so apparently Guendouzi was uh, on his ass a lot in this game. Uh, and Mia Khalifa, who's who's a West Ham fan, I I didn't know she's a hammer, but it kind of makes sense since she used to get pounded a lot. <laughs> nice. Uh, oh yeah. no! Oh no! There we go. There we go. But uh, she tweeted anyways. She said, "Fucking pussy at Matteo Guendouzi. I've seen you go down more in this match than I did in 2014." Wow. <laughs> Um, Let's just take to... a second and let it sink in there. The most overrated porn star of all time. She is. Just... Over... She's more overrated than Jorginho is. I, I'll, I'll give you that. So come on. <laughs> that's, I, that's that's a good thing. Jorginho is not overrated at all. Didn't, okay. Did it? Didn't you learn anything from didn't, my? Didn't you from... not say it's not a crazy argument? Okay, I I can, I can believe that. And yeah, on but... that note, we're gonna let Howard Stern take over the Mia Khalifa conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's let's leave that to another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, we'll, we'll we'll round this right back out to Arsenal. But yeah, I mean, Andres, you make a good point about the whole uh, Grant Jaka thing. They do have players that, um, if you trigger them, they will throw in uh, a naughty challenge. And I think if we could bait them into possibly doing that, um, we might be in good hands. But the one caveat I'm gonna have to that is, if they do kick the crap out of anybody, it's gonna be the usual suspect in Eden Hazard. 
and the prospect of a Granite Shaka going in, studs showing um, into a challenge against Eden Nazard just does not make me feel good. Um, but again, it's it's probably going to happen because Granite Shaka is a, a huge cunt on the field. So, um, but 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 we'll see. You know, he he's not really that tidy in possession, and I actually think that he might be their weakest link if he does play against us um, because yeah he is a good passer and he does have a range of passing but that's only if he has time on the ball um, if we can close down spaces in and around him and prevent him from having a, a, a different passing outlet to the point where he has to try and dribble his way out of space then maybe we could pick him off because he's not the most mobile um, he's not the greatest at carrying the ball forward um, so if we can nick the ball in that midfield and hit him really quickly on the counter I think we could be in good hands um, I don't know about starting Olivier Giroud in this game, though. Um, I know I, I know Arsenal center backs are just crap. But at the same time, Sarri does not rate him for whatever reason. And I, we know he doesn't score goals. And I think Sarri's not naive enough to think that, you know, whoa, the striker doesn't score goals. This is, a, this is a surprise to me. I think he knows Giroud's strengths. But I just don't think that they'll be useful in this game because I don't see Unai Emery playing that that really low, deep defensive line. I think there's going to be space in behind and and playing with three uh, three of our quickest players. I mean, hopefully, hopefully Cal Munson-Odoi gets a run out in this game. Um, it's probably going to be Pedro on one of the flanks because, you know, he, he's really, really good on the counterattack. Whoever it is, we're going to look to hit him with pace because the way Emery sets up his teams is high-risk football high press and quick build-up play. If we could stifle their quick build-up play, pick them off um, and beat their initial high press, then we can be in almost every single time. And teams have exploited them by doing that. So uh, j just something to keep an eye on. I'm going to go ahead and throw my prediction in anyways because I'm fucking sick and tired of talking about teams I absolutely loathe. Mm -hmm. I would rather talk about Huddersfield and Brighton and teams that I have no emotional attachment to, good or bad. But I'm going to say Chelsea 2-1. And get this, guys. Remember how I said Cal Montenodoy is going to kiss the badge against uh, Spurs? <laughs> I think our new striker is going to get a match winner. <laughs> and he's going to kiss the badge. <laughs> and oh. he's going to kiss his badge? <laughs> yeah. Days after joining the club. And then oh after he kisses the badge, Cal Montenodoy signs a new contract right there on the field. Oh my God. Spoiler alert, our new striker is actually Drogba coming back to kill some more <laughs> Arsenal fans' dreams. Bald-headed Drogba. Uh, oh, I'll take any Drogba. Yeah. <laughs> any of the varieties. Um, yeah. I, my bold prediction is actually that we're going to win 3 0. Wow. I'm very confident about this game. <laughs> um, Arsenal tried deploying a back three against West Ham. I think that only limits the best part about their team, which is their attack. Um, if we play the false nine, yeah, I, I don't want to, but I most we most likely will. We will be more defensively able to stop their wingbacks and like Zach said because of the pressuring I think we're going to have them on their toes and and just like we scored four goals in the, on them was it four goals or no three goals at the beginning of the season I think we're going to do it again that's a bold bold shout song yeah and I like I like how you combined your bold prediction with your score prediction it was a good touch but uh for me, I think I think we're gonna win that. Like I I think we're gonna keep a clean sheet and we're gonna win either two or three nil. Um, and I guess my bold prediction. Jorginho, um, three assists. <laughs> he'll get his first assist. <laughs> and uh, all long balls over the top to Hazard. <laughs> or to our our new striker. Um, Gendouzi Ooh. will 
will probably spend most of the match on his knees pulling a Mia Khalifa. So, um, mm. yeah, that, that's my bold prediction. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I I think we covered everything that we don't like in this world in this match. We talked about mm -hmm. Tottenham uh, in this podcast. We talked about Spurs. We talked about Arsenal. We talked about Mia Khalifa. <laughs> talked about Granit Xhaka. And we've also talked about uh, my hatred towards you over Jorginho. So mm -hmm. I think it was overall it was a pretty uh, productive hateful, podcast. Very guys. hateful podcast. Like <laughs> very, job well done. Uh, I, I definitely think if this was a match, we would have grinded out the three points. Um, <laughs> and, if, and if we didn't grind out the three points, I'm sure Mia Khalifa would have. Nice. Um, anyways, <laughs> that brings us to the end of the show today. That That's enough talk for well, us. That's the, just the first part. Just the first part of our show. Yes. So – uh, during transfer window or transfer season, as people call it, we are going to be posting two episodes a week. Uh, obviously, the match previews and reviews, and then a separate pod, aka part two, that's just a basic, quick uh, transfer roundup and uh, Twitter questions. So, um, for the in terms of the first part, that is it. Um, make sure you follow us at Roman's Empire Pod uh, on Twitter. Um, RomansEmpirePod at gmail.com is our email. Make sure that you guys reach out to us. Let us know what you think about the podcast, any suggestions, talking points. We are always um, trying to integrate our fans into our show or our listeners because uh, they're definitely not fans. They're definitely listeners. But, um, yeah, that brings us to the end of this episode. Make sure you download the next one. There's going to be a lot of fun stuff. So until next time, guys, keep the blue flag flying high.